How many of y'all are ready? Ready to go to heaven one day, see Jesus face to face? Our God is so good. We will sing with him. We will sing with one another for eternity. We will serve him in perfection. There'll be no more worries. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more tragedy. There'll be no more sorrow. Hope is a beautiful word, isn't it? I can get through a lot of things if I got hope. Father, help us to have hope. Luke chapter number 7 is where we're going to go today. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you are here. We're in a series on conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus. When people meet Jesus and Jesus begins to have conversations with them about all sorts of things. This series, really the last three weeks, have been in the book of Luke. Uh, we will stay in the book of Luke today, chapter number 7, verses 11 through 17. 11 through 17. When we see Jesus, we are seeing what God is like. The book of John tells us that. When we see Jesus, when we want to know uh, how God thinks, what he likes, what God doesn't like, um, what God enjoys, then we look at Jesus. He is the representation of God made in flesh. And so if you want to know who God is, we look to Christ. That is a very controversial statement in our world today, uh, to believe that Jesus is more than just a good teacher, to believe that he is God in the flesh. Uh, that means that there is no other way to salvation except through Jesus Christ. And so here we are, we gather we gather to serve him, worship him, and be together uh, in his house. And so uh, several or a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter number four, uh, which Jesus gives the mission statement of why he came, why he came. Jesus gives the mission statement of why he came, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 61. When Jesus says, I came to preach the good news to the poor, we talked about who the poor are. That is not just people that are financially poor, but that is poor in spirit. You have to come to Christ bankrupt in your soul to know that he is the only one that can pull you out of debt. And so we come to him poor. Uh, that's not like poor, like having money at the first of the month, paying the bills by the first week, and then having no money by the end of the month. That's the first of the month hits, and you ain't got no money. That's the kind of poor that we come to God in. Uh, Jesus came to preach the good news to the poor, the one bound in sin. He came to set the captives free. He came to make the blind in life see, to give vision in life. And I pray that you have vision in life. He, he came to preach the good news to the oppressed, the one who is broken into pieces, uh, the one that has the weight of the world on their back. Jesus came for that person. And one day, one day, all the systems of the world, uh, how the world operates will be broken and we will live with him forever. I look forward to that day. What you begin to see in Luke is that this mission statement begins to play out in how Jesus does his ministry. So Jesus is very consistent in quoting Isaiah 61. He's very consistent and how he plays out 
Isaiah 61 in his ministry. Stick your finger on Luke 7, but go back to the left a little bit. We just want to journey through the Bible a little bit. Go back to chapter 4 with me. I want you to see this, for example, in verses 22 through 30. Chapter 4, 22 through 30. Jesus says that he came to bring salvation to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people. He uses Elijah and Elisha as an example, Jewish prophets who bypassed a lot of Jewish people, Jesus points out, to do ministry to two people who are Gentiles. This widow in Zarephath, which watch this, that's verse, that's verse 30, uh, excuse me, verse 26 in the text, chapter 4, verse 26. That's very key, by the way, to chapter 7, because we're going to meet a widow in chapter 7. Jesus is saying, Elijah went to a Gentile widow, raised up her son from the dead. We're going to read about Jesus raising up a widow's son from the dead. Jesus is saying in chapter 7, I am the greater Elijah. Elijah was nothing but a picture of me. It's what Jesus is going to say in chapter 7. It's what he's going to do. He's fulfilling the mission statement and how he ministers. We see that in chapter 4, verses 31 through 36. If you see that, you can see that Jesus drives out evil spirits, those held captive by evil spirits. That's in his mission statement in chapter 4. When he quotes Isaiah, he came to set the captives free. What is he doing there in chapter 4, verses 31 through 36? He's setting people free. Setting them free from the demonic forces that are in their lives. By the way, according to the book of Corinthians, those demonic forces are alive and well and they set up strongholds in our mind. And the only way to bring those strongholds down is through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. So this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to fulfill this mission statement. Look at chapter 4, verses 38 through 39. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother, who has a fever. Jesus shows up, touches her, heals her of her sickness. It's a sign that that he is the Messiah. Luke chapter 5, look at chapter 5. Look at verse 12 with me, Luke 5, 12. For example, Jesus heals a man with leprosy in chapter 5. What is that? Well, it's a man who has a skin disease that his body is literally rotting away. Nobody touched people with leprosy. According to the law, you had to quarantine yourself until you were either healed or, in a lot of cases, you just died. You died in isolation. History tells us that people with leprosy would show up and uh, if you were around them, you had a fear of touching them, you would become unclean. They were unclean and so the person with leprosy would holler out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine wearing that scarlet letter? The unclean leprosy scarlet letter? Could you imagine wearing that and having to holler unclean for fear of anybody touching you, you making them sick or making them unclean? They couldn't go to church, couldn't go worship God. They were isolated. Chapter 5 of Luke, Jesus fulfills Isaiah 61 and goes and touches the man. This man ain't been touched in forever. Forever. 
Jesus takes on his uncleanliness. Jesus becomes unclean for him. Do y'all get that? This is Isaiah 61. This is Jesus coming to proclaim the good news to the poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed. Jesus is coming to set them free. And it's playing out in every chapter of the book of Luke. We get to chapter 7. Get to chapter 7. Well, chapter 5, you have the paralyzed man. We could talk about him. Four men lower him down in the roof. I can't imagine somebody tearing up my roof, uh, putting a hole in the roof. And uh, lowering the man down, Jesus heals the paralyzed man there, says your sins are forgiven. Another example of Isaiah 61. We get to chapter 7. We could spend all day talking about these examples. Let's get to chapter 7 of the text. Verses 11 through 16 is what we want to look at. Uh, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Very wonderful word there, by the way. The Lord Jesus had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched the buyer, the casket, and the pallbearers there, they stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. Can you see? Watch this. Watch this. Look, look at what the people are saying. This is an echo of what we read in chapter 4 when Elijah goes to the widow, raises up her son, a Gentile, by the way. Jesus saying, I've come for Gentiles. He came for me and you. This is what the people are saying about him. He's the new Elijah. A great prophet has arisen among us. His God has visited us. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Lord God, bless the teaching of your word today in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Luke 7, 11 through 16 deals with a widow woman who to me is the picture of Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4. We just walked through all of those examples that Jesus is going to to fulfill this mission statement. Verse 11 of the text, this widow lives in a town called Nain. I looked it up this week. Nain is about 25 miles from Capernaum, which is where Jesus is in the previous text. Uh, You can go to these towns today. It's about a 40-minute drive. Jesus would have walked there. It's about a day's journey. So Jesus shows up in this town. Uh, The text doesn't say that he's invited. Uh, The text doesn't say why he had to go. It says that he just went. Hear me when I say this. There are so many instances where people seek the Lord and God shows up. But then there are times where Jesus shows up uninvited and unannounced and enters into people's lives. So the Lord is really working on both of those platforms. So you could be in here today really seeking a word from God. And if you will have your spiritual ears on and you will listen and ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear from God, God will show up in your life. 
But you may be here randomly sitting here next to someone who maybe have invited you or drugged you to church. I remember being drugged to church when I was a kid. God forbid we tell our kids what to do, right? I remember being drugged to church not really even wanting to be there, and God interrupted my life. I didn't, I didn't invite him. He showed up unannounced and changed me. I remember those days. My prayer for all of us in here is that we hear Jesus. He shows up in this town unexpected, unannounced, and he shows up during the middle of a funeral. You've heard of a wedding crasher? He's a funeral crasher. Since the Jewish custom is to bury their dead on the same day that someone dies, it's likely that Jesus and the disciples met this funeral procession at the city gate. They were headed to the cemetery. Verse 12, we are introduced to the widow woman. Last week we said that Jesus shows up into ordinary people's lives, into ordinary situations, and he takes the ordinary of the everyday and he gives it purpose and he gives the ordinary satisfaction. Last week we learned that the kingdom principle that God does, last week we learned this about this series, is that the kingdom principle he uses, calling ordinary fishermen to be fishers of men, is that Jesus, here's the kingdom principle, Jesus uses ordinary people in their ordinary lives to catch people into the net of salvation. He's using you in your ordinary life, in your ordinary marriage, in your ordinary job, in your ordinary family. Uh, We all have unordinary families, right? He's using us in our ordinary Baptist church. He's using us in our ordinary lives to catch people. He's the one that does the catching. We don't. This is the kingdom principle that we talked about last week. But today in this text, what we see is that Jesus steps into crippling grief. Crippling grief. She's the picture of Luke 4 of Jesus' mission statement. She's poor. She's blind. She has lost her vision in life. You say, she's not blind in the text. She's walking aimlessly through life. In fact, some of you have been in her shoes, particularly if you've lost a child. She is held captive. She is broken and oppressed, not only by a culture, that says she has to have a husband or a son to take care of her. But she is broken and oppressed by the grief that weighs down on her. She's lost her husband at some point, And now she's lost her son. There are a few of you that understand her agony. There are some of you who understand what crippling grief is pain that you bear and maybe you've never lost anyone but maybe a situation has come into your life where you are under the weight of grief just curious have you ever felt the grief of your sin before that can be crippling as well Jesus enters into crippling grief I use the word crippling because that's exactly what grief can do it can make us stop life. While everything around us 
continues to zoom forward at, sl- at a fast pace. It makes us want to stop living out our life. And I'm not necessarily talking about suicide this morning when I say that. But to stop living life, to do nothing, to sit in the moment. And that moment becomes a season. And that season becomes extended in a long period of time. It seems like the world passes on and grief often means that we can't press on, and we don't even want to press on. We want to sit in it. It's a mixture of can't press on and don't want to press on, while everything around us presses forward. The five stages of grief are very real. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and a person becomes, bounces through all of those five stages, maybe at the same time. So depending on what day it is or what moment it is, I can be in a place of acceptance, but let the moment pass and I can be in a place of anger. The five stages are very real, and if you are here and you've never been hit with crippling grief, then you have been sheltered for whatever unseen reason. But I would say, hold on, because life has a way. There are some here who should preach this sermon point for me today because you have walked through more grief than your pastor would know. But Jesus completely understands where you are. He enjoys entering into crippling grief and stirring the heart and changing somebody. Jesus enters into her grief. He steps right into it this day. He's not afraid of it because he knows that he is stronger than death. The widow can't see it, but he can. And he has the authority over death. And this day he raises her son up from the grave. Now if you're in here and you have lost somebody, there is no promise in this text that Jesus is going to raise your son or daughter or spouse or grandmother or grandfather or mom or dad, Jesus is not going to raise them up physically today. That's not the promise of the text. But the promise of the text is he has authority over death and one day there will be a great resurrection. My question is, will you be ready to meet God on that day? Graves will come open. I'm not sure what it will look like. Any preacher that tells you what they know what it will look like is lying to your face. But we will have physical bodies just like Jesus. The unsaved will rise as well. There'll be a resurrection for the unsaved. But the ones who are saved, who, who have accepted Christ in their life, they'll be raised to new life. We will have new, new bodies. They will, we can physically touch like Jesus physically touched. And we will dwell with him forever and ever. We just sing about it. Is he worthy? Absolutely he is. Verse 13, Jesus enters her grief with compassion, is what the Bible says. He's moved toward the widow. Everything within him is drawn to her. Jesus not only steps into crippling grief, Jesus steps into the unknown future. The unknown future. The kind of future that says, what am I going to do now? Future. The widow woman is not only grieving her son, but she has No clue where her livelihood will come from because she has no son to provide and no husband to provide. She's the epitome of Jesus has come to proclaim the good news to the poor. 
Because if she had a meal last night and her son died, now she's wondering where her next meal has come from. Maybe she has some savings. I don't know. But eventually that's going to not last her. Where's the meal going to come from next week? There's no sitting down like I did and with Jerry Manley. Don't even know if he's here. There's no sitting down with Jerry Manley in his office at Alpha to discuss life insurance for the possibility that I would die and leave Aaron without nothing. And by the way, I would say if you're in this place, you need to look at your finances, men. Be very careful about placing a burden on your wife when little or next to nothing could provide enough for your family to cover your funeral cost. Can I say that on a Sunday morning in a sermon? Don't put your family in a bind one day when little or next to nothing per month. A pack of cigarettes here and there. A meal at Black Rock Grill in Jasper, which by the way is fantastic. Could be enough life insurance to bless your family for the moment that you die. Do y'all realize that? She didn't have Jerry Manley in her life. Jerry, give me commission on the business I just sent your way. She don't have company insurance plans or retirement plan that she could have cashed in on. Life has hit her. And Luke is making a point that this woman will begin to live in poverty. And Jesus steps into her poverty. There's no Medicare for her. There's no government funding for the widow. No Social Security benefits. Her future is unknown. She doesn't know what will happen the next day. And Jesus moved with compassion toward her. Let's talk about compassion for a moment. The heart of Jesus is compassionate. The Greek word here is splanknizomai. You go, what in the world? You can hear it in the word, splanknizomai. It's the, all of the insides of a person being moved. It ain't just talking about the heart. Splanknizomai. It's the gut. It's everything inside of Jesus is moved. All of his inward parts are moved toward this woman. It means that Jesus had a gut-wrenching feeling and yearning to move into a situation to help. He didn't feel sorry for her. He wanted to help her. That's what compassion is. Chase Rogers posted a John Owen quote this morning which says the greatest sorrow that you can lay on a father is when you don't believe that he loves you. So if Sawyer or Sam were to look at me and question whether or not I love them or not, that would be one of the greatest sorrows that a dad could feel. Some of you in here are questioning whether God loves you and I'm here to tell you that just like the widow woman, Jesus is moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion toward you. A gut-wrenching urge with all of the inside of Jesus to step in and to help. To not sit back and feel sorry, but to step in and help. And as a Christian, this is the kind of heart he gives to us, the church. It's not to sit back and go, 
oh, I feel so sorry for them. That's not compassion. Compassion is when you step up and step into someone's life who needs help. You're moved with everything inside of you. Compassion for those around us. Compassion moves us out of the comfortable into the uncomfortable. Compassion inconveniences us. Compassion may cost our bank accounts to help somebody. Compassion. This is what Jesus has. It's been said God helps those who help themselves. That's so anti-gospel. The truth of the matter is God helps and has compassion on those who can't help themselves. I couldn't help myself. Jesus showed up and had compassion in my life. God's heart moves toward the widow. God's heart moves toward the orphan. God's heart moves toward children. God's heart moves toward those who need help. Here it is. God's heart moves toward the unborn. The unborn. The Bible speaks toward the unborn. Y'all know these texts. Y'all also know that I'm very cautious about getting on soapboxes. I don't like to do that. It's why we preach through the Bible. We let the text give us what we want to talk about and preach on. And I think the text today lends itself to talk about the one who is helpless. Many, many of us celebrate what has just happened in our land. Many have prayed for this opportunity to save the lives of babies, and it will Abortion is big business. It could never fix the problem of poverty, by the way. If we just eliminate the burden of babies on people that are poor, then we, they won't be poor. That, that, was a, that was a thought process in 1973. Y'all realize that? Y'all better pay attention because this is the conversation in y'all's classes. Y'all have a lot of friends that don't believe this. Abortion is huge business. You're messing with people's money. This is why the country's in outrage. You want to make people mad? Mess with their God. Money. Money. And I'm talking about Republicans and Democrats. Money. Racism is at the heart of abortion. Do any research on Margaret Sanger, the founder of this thing. I've talked about this in the pulpit. She has ties to the to the eugenics programs of the Nazis, her thoughts and views on those in society that she deemed as, quote, you ready? Human weeds which threatened the blooming of the finest flowers of American society. Her endeavors called the Negro Project. Do any research on that. You'll find that she is one of the greatest racists that ever have been on American soil. And she wanted to use the black pastor to push her thought process on black folks. The satanic attack on the image of God is at the heart of this discussion. We want to celebrate because the unborn get a chance to live, but you better hear me. We don't want people just born. We want people to thrive. Most Democratic and Republicans are using this issue as as a talking point to gain our vote and to stay in power. The truth is the church has been filled with compassion and must press forward to help 
unwanted children who will now enter the world. We have got to help unwanted children to be wanted. If mama don't want them, the people of God must want them. I've seen some horrific Facebook posts and Twitter posts over the weekend. I saw one young person write one young girl that I know in 10 years when she becomes old enough in her mind to now become a mom. I pray that she does. She will look back on her comments from from this past weekend and be filled with shame and embarrassment from the things that she posted. Like, I would rather a baby die than be born into the situations of this life. Really? 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 The government can never replace the role of the church. The church must value children, single moms, families adopting, foster care families. We have got to value people. We have got to value children. And I would tell you that the comment I've seen rolling around that that God's people have been pro-birth and not pro-life is hogwash. I think we are pro-life. I think we do value, but do we value enough? Are we pouring our resources, our thought processes enough into the system? The church has led the way in adoption and foster care. But watch this, because we sit back and we let those few Christians adopt and I'll just sit back and not participate and not be moved with compassion. You want me tell you what's happening now? You have an LGBTQ+, plus, however many letters you want to put on the end of it, who now want to adopt. Because if the Christians won't, then they will. We must give more of our efforts our money to organizations in our backyard like Save-A-Life, the Pregnancy Resource Center. We just sent $500 to them last week to love on them. We sponsor them yearly, but we sent an additional $500. It's a drop in the bucket. $500 doesn't even cover my grocery bill for two weeks. Does it cover y'all? We will walk with first-time dads at Save-A-Life in the month of August. We will sit down with first-time dads in the month of August. We will have conversations with first-time dads at Save-A-Life in the month of August. I will grab baby dolls from the children, preschool children's department and teach dads for the first time to change a diaper. Last year, I had conversations with first-time dads at Save-A-Life. I said, why are you here? They were telling me because me and their mom, none of them married, by the way, me and their mama decided abortion was not right and we thought might as well have the baby. Glory be to God. Places in our backyard like Garrett's Place who help foster care children. Foster care children. David and Paula Tarwater in our church family to to my left. Food and clothing pantries. 
Jesus Pantry, Grace Place, Oak Grove First. We just sent a $1,000 to Oak Grove First Baptist right here in our backyard because they have a food pantry that, because of the mines, now has been moved to Smithville Baptist Church. And so we are going to support them as well because people are broke. Big Oak Ranch, the Alabama Children, Baptist Children's Home, the Love Lady Center. We just took up uh, some, uh, some things to take to the Love Lady Center for women there, housing f- over 400 women in that place. We can never look down on these people. If we're going to scream abortion is murder, then we have got to be the people who step in with compassion in these situations. Let me go a step further. We can never look down on the woman who is caught in sin. Jesus never affirms sin. Jesus would have never held a flag up during gay pride parade. Okay? Jesus never affirms sin. But if you'll watch the ministry of Jesus, when people are caught in sin... When people are are oppressed by their sin, Jesus steps into their situation. He doesn't coddle them, but he comes to them in love, mercy, and grace. And so the woman who comes through our doors that's not married, who's pregnant, we don't look at her in shame and embarrassment. She already feels that. We surround her with love. What is sad that most people who celebrate the idea of overturning Roe versus Wade only celebrate because it seems to be a victory for Republicans over Democrats. That's political victory. Jesus was never about that. There's no thought into how this will impact society and how this calls God's people to step up and to help people more than we ever have. Find a struggling family. What can you do? Find a struggling family in your life. Help them anonymously. Don't post it to Facebook that you just helped someone. That's garbage. Nobody cares about that. Do it anonymously. Find a single mom. Help her anonymously. Pay her power bill. Love on her. If she's struggling, cook her a meal and carry it over there to her. Give her respite. Maybe she needs to go to the grocery store without her baby or kid all over her. Tell her if you're her neighbor, do you need to drop your kid off at my house just for an hour to catch a breath, a break? Find children in your community to give away your kids' clothes to. Quit nickel and diming the community for your kids' clothes on Facebook. Find somebody that needs the name brand clothes that are in your kid's closet and just give them away. I need that extra $100 to go to the beach and eat, and eat shrimp. Give me a break. Eat a sandwich at the beach that day. God has called us to move with compassion. And this thing could go on and on and on. Jesus steps into the crippling grief. He steps into the unknown future and he provides a future for her. Her son gets, now gets to come and take care of her. This is what Jesus does. He takes care. And then I'm going to invite the guys forward. I want you to see this in verse 16. You guys can come on forward. Verse 16, check this out. This is so good because he's the new Elijah. He's the better Elijah.
Elijah was the prophet of God in 1 Kings 17. Goes to a widow woman who's Gentile, raises her son up from the grave. It's the same story. Here's the difference, though. Elijah didn't die on the cross. Elijah didn't die at all. He was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, a whirlwind. Never died. Elijah didn't pay for the sins of the world. Elijah never woke up from the grave. Elijah didn't step foot out of the tomb. So when Jesus does all of this stuff, he's already declared that he's like Elijah. And then in chapter 7, he raises the widow. And I'm sure the same ugly, self-righteous people of his day. And we're going to deal with that conversation next week. Jesus deals with the self-righteous. We're going to deal with that next Sunday. And I'm sure Jesus does this miracle in Luke chapter 7 in front of all of those self-righteous people. And they see that he's the new Elijah. And in verse 16 of the text, fear sees them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The people glorified God. That's what Jesus does. He steps into our situations. They may not be ordinary today. They may be crippling. And they may be unknown with a big old fat question mark on the end. What am I going to do now? God knows. God knows what he's going to do in your life. Will you trust him? Will you call out to him? And watch this. When he lays it out in front of you, will you obey him? Will you seek him? Will you glorify him? God has visited his people. What a sermon that is. God's visiting us. He's here. Our God is real. He's real. I can feel him in my soul. Can you? He visits. He wants to visit your life. Maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is filled with compassion. I want you to remember today. You have done nothing to run out the compassion of God in your life. Well, that sounds like a blank check. Dead gum right it is. It's a blank check of compassion. And it calls me to holiness and obedience. It does not call me to sin. Woo, praise God. He's forgiven me. Now I can live my life how I want to. That is not what I preached. God's blank check of compassion calls me to serve him with all of my heart. Help me, Lord God. If you're here today and you need prayer, the altar's open. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus, but today the one that died for you is knocking on your heart. Open it up. Let him in. He wants to step into your life. Father God, would you bless our time today in invitation?